There was a time when meadow, grove, and stream, the earth, and every common sight, to me did seem apparelled in celestial light, the glory and the freshness of a dream. Hey everyone, it's Jonathan, and today's episode is technically a repeat of a Wonderland Wednesday episode from 2018. This is an extended episode talking about the 1966 BBC version of Alice in Wonderland from director Jonathan Miller. And not only is our review extended to around 40 minutes from two much shorter episodes, I'm also going to do something brand new, and after the episode, we're going to read a bunch of viewer comments. The original videos covering this movie have received a bunch of comments over the years, some of which address some questions that Sarah and I had in the original episode, so I thought it would be fun to go back and read some of the comments we've gotten over the years. Sarah and I will be back after the main episode, so let's get on with our original review of Jonathan Miller's Alice in Wonderland. back to Wonderland Wednesday. Today we're going to be talking about the 1966 BBC version of Alice in Wonderland. Another BBC version, this one completely different than the other ones. Mm -hmm. Very, very different. Very strange. I mean, Alice in Wonderland is already strange. This one is strange in a different way. We already said that the Czechoslovakian version was strange. This one is strange in an even different way than that one. They're all strange in their own way. Yes. Um, this one is black and white, and it has a very unique combination of music styles. They, they have paired hymns with Indian music. They got a composer, his name was Ravi Shankar, and oh, Ravi. Ravi Shankar, and... I don't know. I, I liked the effect, but it was very different than than anything else we've seen before. Um, which, I guess, is a good thing, because we're watching so many Alice's that if they all had the same kind of music, it would get old after a while. But they really seem to like the hymn Immortal Invisible for some reason, because it was played in the background quietly through a, many scenes of the film, and then they outright sang it at least once, maybe twice. It took it was, center stage more than once, really. Yes. Which, as I was saying to him, I mean, we, we grew up singing this song in church, but looking in the hymn book, I think the man who wrote the words, you can double check it, the wrote, who wrote the words to this song lived from maybe 1824 to 1908, and probably wrote the words during the reign of Queen Victoria. So it's fitting, it's also a Welsh hymn tune. So it's very fitting to the period, but we did not understand why why the fascination with this in this story. There were a lot of things that we didn't understand and we'll touch on some of that. We kind of felt like this movie was filled with references metaphors and metaphors that that we didn't get yeah so we kind of need to sit down with the maker and say what on earth did you mean by xyz yeah which we could talk about that in most any scene there was something that was left us either laughing or scratching our heads with confusion not a, that's not always a bad thing but i don't know it made this one very different it starts out not on the bank, but with Alice being readied by a maid. Her sister seems to already be put together. And the maid is whispering to Alice as she's getting her ready, almost halfway mumbling to herself. But you find out as you're watching the film, that's what a lot of the conversation is, is whispering. There's I so much whispering in this movie. I don't know how, there, there's far more whispering than any normal level conversation. Mm -hmm. Then she and her sister head out and it's somewhat normal. It's a little bit drawn out because it starts out quiet and then this sort of Indian music kicks in and you're like, okay, 1960s. They end up on the bank. One of the things that I'm struck with in this version is just how, even though it's black and white, 
some of the scenery, you can tell it's just gorgeous. And the garden scene with the Hatter, they have this close-up of these beautiful roses. It's almost a shame that it wasn't in color, so you get a better feel for that. But I appreciated it. They end up on the bank like they normally do, except I'm not really sure that it was a bank. It looked bank enough to me. It, I didn't see any water, but maybe... I well, I guess if that's what you're looking for. They ended up on a hill. Yeah. And I suppose she was supposed to have fallen asleep. They did show her lying down, but mm -hmm. when the rabbit comes along... Rabbit. Rabbit. That's another thing about this version. All of the people that should be animals are played by people, and they insert all sorts of animal noises, but the people aren't making the animal noises. Yeah. They're just overlaid onto what is happening, and it's almost like it's supposed to be a metaphor of what these people are acting like or what they but are. But even, even if, you, if you've read the story, you know what animals the people are supposed to be, and the noises don't ever seem to match. Because, They're barnyard animals. Yeah, like during the caucus race, there was a whole lot of pig noises. Which you have, to, you have to wonder, is that what he's thinking that these people are acting like? I don't, don't know. know. That, was another, that was just one of the many things that confused us about this version. Right. So the rabbit comes along and he's flailing like, come follow me, and she's looking off in the distance like she doesn't even see him. This is another thing. Mm -hmm. Alice was chosen, she wasn't an actress, and she didn't do any acting after this, but she was a serious young person, and the person who made this film was drawn to that, and he wanted her. Throughout the film, she shows practically no emotion. And she's always staring off into the distance, it seems like. For the most part. And every once in a while, she you get a look from her that seems kind of like, oh, brother, these people. <laughs> but still very serious. But apparently he's gotten through to her, and she takes off after him, and they go into this, underneath this old bridge, which is neat looking. But instead of falling down the hole, all of a sudden she's in what seems like an old school or church. Or maybe even a the, museum or some combination. I, I'm thinking the that they were trying to convey school. I, I wonder if they were trying to have a throwback to Lewis Carroll, his life. It could have been. I don't know, but it there was were one these, of the many things we didn't understand. There were these flowing white raggedy curtains and then there are stairs and there are these human anatomy charts showing all the muscles. What on earth? She ends up in this little room with the bottle and apparently they didn't have a lot of budget for major special effects, but you liked the way they did the way, it. The way they did the shrinking and growing, I thought it was really clever because they used different camera angles. So she, they had a close-up on her face while she was drinking and then they immediately would cut to her under the table as small. I thought it was a really clever way to get around any budgetary constraints that a scene like having someone shrink and grow would cause. I thought it was really well done and it struck me as one of the best effects of the movie, much better than a lot of the other ones we've seen where they tried to like mm -hmm. green screen it in or whatever. It was just really simple and kind of genius, I thought. A few more notes on the visual aspects of this film. Uh, one, she wins the award so far of Alice with the fluffiest hair. I don't know if it was because it was the 60s, but she has this really fluffy straight hair and I don't know if they were going for mysterious with this or what. Two, unlike an Alice where you might expect one outfit on the bank, one outfit for Wonderland, or just the same outfit throughout the whole bit. She has at least three different outfits depending on the scene. And so, it's not like she changes no, outfits. No, it's just like all the... of a sudden she is in that outfit. So when she follows the rabbit into the hole and ends up in the school, all of a sudden she's in a different outfit. She ends up back in that other outfit in a different scene and at some point she seems like she's in a, a penny and a, more of a simple dress. 
There right. wasn't really any continuity with her clothes, and I don't know if that was on purpose or it just sort of happened. Another mystery. I love her second outfit, which I can go into more. It was, it was beautiful. The clothes are a topic in and of themselves in this film because they made some interesting choices that didn't fit. Um, her second outfit was gorgeous. It's one that I actually wouldn't necessarily mind owning. It looked kind of satiny and full at the back and she was wearing these adorable little boots. That aside, another interesting visual thing about this film is how many dead animals are in it. All the taxidermy or edibles that may have just been lying around like game birds that I guess mm -hmm. maybe somebody's going to eat. So when she's in this room with the shrinking and growing, one of the things that you're struck by is, is that a taxidermy dog? Like a hunting dog maybe? Mm -hmm. That's what it looks like to me. She does look out through a small door where she sees people wandering around with immortal invisible playing. <laughs> and one another confusing thing is they seem to do the tears scene but it's just this little blip and all of the sudden it it's like they have this slowed down audio which sounds gross it's like this it's just this, really strange it's like it this no flood is happening but unless you are familiar with the story you would have no clue what just happened and then it's over and never mentioned again. And then it's like they're mimicking the bank scene because she's in another part of what seems to be the same building, but they have indoor plants, so it's kind of like being outside, but it's almost like a church or a school, and you have all the people who should be animals trying to get dry, and the guy reading history, which this part, this movie has more than one funny part, and he's confused whether it's supposed to be funny or not. I'm just going to roll. It's, it's, it's very, very dry. Like, it's kind of a play on the fact that they're supposed to be getting dry, but this is so dry. But dry humor, in addition to the dry speech that he's giving, it's so dry that it's not immediately apparent if it's supposed to be funny, but I found it hilarious. I think... I think it's supposed to be funny. In the spirit of the book, it's supposed to be funny, so I'm going to go with that's what he was driving at. And it, w it was more ornery than you would expect because one of the animal people says, I've never been more bored in my life or something like that. Just these little, and one of them snoring. And uh -huh. there are all these little funny touches, not over-the-top funny. But I appreciate that they did inject some humor into it. Mm -hmm. Okay, and here's a, one of the most confusing parts to me. Because they go into the caucus race, and they're running around. And then at some point, it looks like they're trying to make crosses on their chests. You know the gesture better than I do if you're Catholic. And they sit down for a minute, but I can't tell whether this person is making a mockery of organized religion or just of these people or what on earth he's trying to communicate through this. If I anything. I don't get like it. Like we said, a lot of it was really confusing. And at some point, these people get into an argument with each other, and it's almost like this this group fight but not out and out brawl and or is one of them biting another one i have no idea what's going on it, here it looks like one of them might have been biting another one's leg at one point with pig squealing noises overlaid this scene and they're like all sort of very slowly crumpling to the floor let <laughs> another very very confusing thing with no explanation <laughs> And then it's kind of normal because they have the part with her giving out the peppermints as prizes and she's presented with her thimble, own thimble. Her own thimble. Kind of normal. 
at some point she's trotting along in this film and she goes underneath a bridge I believe some kind of tunnel and there's just some random dude in a bathtub taking a bath for no reason <laughs> we I actually said was there somebody taking a bath down there? You, you I had to rewind it to see. You almost have to watch two or three times to get... I mean, they weren't showing anything, but how inappropriate... It's so random. It's so inappropriate. Do not try this at home. Otherwise, little girls may come running by when you least expect it. <laughs> Except she was very indifferent and didn't even really oh, notice. I, I don't know if she noticed him at all. And she, you know, just keep running. Just keep running. Uh, the caterpillar is next, and it's, he's also not a caterpillar. It's a guy in period clothing. I don't know what period. That's another thing about this film, because their costuming seems more like the 1880s rather than the 1860s. Which I would have no idea, and I think most people would have no idea about this, but Sarah has done study on this independently of our film. Yeah, it's just things. the clothing history is something that interests me so when this book is supposed to be written in the 1860s I can understand somebody doing a modern take or somehow messing with it the way some people do with period of clothing like oh yes we'll have the 1970s hairstyle with the 1800s garb it's not that type of well partially is that type of, I'm rambling here <laughs> This one, they seem to be pretty accurate with their costuming. They did seem to throw in some 1960s influence on the girls' hair, but I didn't understand why they deviated from the decade when the book was written. Maybe they just found that style visually appealing. I don't know. Anyway, some of that's definitely going to... We'll see how much I can. You can at least you can at least put in the part of this being stylistically different than what I would have expected. Yeah. Um. Okay. The caterpillar. They're off in another room, presumably of the same building. I think most of this takes place in the same. Building. I did not like this scene. They both look like they're off in their own little world. And she's trying to recite your old father William. She doesn't recite the whole thing, which I am okay with. That's that's fine. But this scene makes more sense with an actual caterpillar mm -hmm. on a mushroom. Can you there believe I'm saying that? <laughs> this scene makes makes way more sense with a caterpillar. There on a were mushroom. there were a few scenes like that. I felt like they had the similar dialogue. Like well, we'll get into it later. But the mock turtle. They, they would have the dialogue of the creatures, but when it's being spoken by a person, In a it suit. doesn't make sense. So, so yeah. once again, for people who are already familiar with the story, this makes a little more sense, but mm -hmm. this guy was having fun with it. After the caterpillar scene, she goes to the house of the Duchess. Now... This is actually one of the best parts of the film. Almost the whole way through. Yeah. I have one or two beefs. <laughs> <laughs> when she gets there, yes, there's more whispering, but I absolutely love the frog footman. The fish is cute, too. He's kind of an innocent guy who comes along with the invitation and then... Does he tell him to wait outside or something? I don't know. Something like that. But the frog gives this whole speech that I do not remember from the book about how he's willing to do nothing for her, but he's he has stuff that crops up and he would just have to find time to do nothing for her if if he if she wants him to do I nothing. I think this was in the her. spirit of the book, but they added their own take on it. I and thought it was funny. I thought it was it was adorable and it will remind you of people that you know. <laughs> I'm willing to do nothing for you, but I need to find time to put that in. I'm really busy doing nothing myself. Yes. And she thinks he's an idiot. And, and says it to his face. Which, you know, he says maybe he is, maybe he isn't. <laughs> it, was, it was a really funny scene. It was one of our favorites, I think. 
Then it gets even more interesting. She goes into the house. The cook, spot on. Very skinny, little bit tough looking, but not as, she's, she did not look Dickensian like that other <laughs> cook that we saw, wow. But she, I think, she's definitely in keeping with the spirit of the book. Mm -hmm. The Duchess is a man dressed up like a woman. We read about this ahead of time and we were expecting the worst, <laughs> but well, it turned out I, really well. I don't think I was expecting the worst. If anybody, if any woman could be played by a man, the, the Duchess is already yeah. supposed to be a homely, obnoxious, annoying character. So to have a guy <laughs> playing this part. Playing it very over the top, very well. And I don't know if he was ad-libbing a little bit in there. There was a lot of dialogue but from the book, but mm -hmm. it was funny. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. He's probably one of my favorite duchesses so far. Um, you, you don't expect to actually be laughing out loud watching the duchess. Mm -hmm. He made us laugh. And the cook made us laugh, too, dancing around the kitchen, singing together. Normally that song is just weird, yeah. not funny, but they hammed it up to the point where it was funny. And then it took this dark turn, like he <laughs> hated this baby. And yeah, he's speaking in this he's speaking in this sinister manner to the baby. Alice takes the baby, which turns into the pig. And then she's having the whole conversation with the Cheshire cat, but it's whispering in her head. Head. And you don't see the cat either. And at first, I thought that this cat, that she was replacing the cat. I thought she I was. I thought she was talking to herself. Yeah. But then later, the same thing happens, except you can see the cat's head in the sky. Yeah, so it didn't make sense at first. You have to keep watching to know what's going on. And it's just weird. Mm -hmm. The Mad Tea Party is next. She comes into this garden with the beautiful roses, gorgeous tea party laid out. Here's another thing about this film. At the beginning and at the tea party, you hear insect noises. And I'm talking about like annoying insects yeah. that you do not want on your face or on your food. At one point, it looked like maybe a fly was on one of the tarts. Nobody was trying to brush it off. And it was almost like they were, either they were just there or they were purposefully trying to make people hear insect noises. I kind of wondered if maybe they put some more in in post because there was a lot of insect noises. Maybe buzzing all over the may, place. Maybe this is how they felt about picnics. This is what picnics be. are really like, people, which is true. This scene, I felt like all of the characters were okay. I liked the characters. It just it took a little too long. I it, thought it took too long. It was kind of like a lazy, hazy summer day party that it just needed to wrap up. Mm -hmm. Once again, nobody's actually playing an animal. The Mad Hatter is not a sinister character, which is correct to the book. And I recognize the March Hare from another film that I seen from the 80s, so we ended up on a whole rabbit trail with that. There's there is more than one person in here that I recognize, but not very many. And they talked about her being in amongst these famous people you would think I would have recognized more of them but maybe I'm just not as familiar with 1960s BBC maybe if I was more familiar with that one of the most memorable things about the tea party was the insect noises and the roses so other than that it was mostly standard with good acting that just took too long at some point they have sort of this odd camera angle that's looking down on her and she's looking up like it's, yeah. it's halfway sinister or oh brother somewhere in between those two looks with the style of camera angles they sometimes use like i thought this felt like an indie film or an experimental film i don't know it didn't seem like i mean it didn't seem like a bbc film it was just so different which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it was just so different. <laughs> After this, you have the painting the roses red, which he didn't actually look like he was putting any paint on the roses at all. He was they, just sort of dabbing at him with a paintbrush. 
I don't understand that. And of course these aren't cards again, these are people. This part was a little bit drawn out because all of a sudden it's like this whole parade of... A royal procession. But more like a parade. And yeah. as they get closer, which takes a little while... It's forever. They, they're off in the distance marching towards them with all these music and it's just the camera is like fixed on them and it just takes forever and then it kind of fades in when they're a little bit closer and then it fades in when they're a little bit closer and then they just keep getting closer and closer finally alice seems to like give up and walks towards them but this was different though because it's like she starts to march but she marches in between the lines until she gets to the red queen king and their son who acts like he's mentally disabled I, I don't know what like, the deal with their son was. Well, he just, he acts stupid and gluttonous, but his father says, but he's very tall. You know, like, this is the redeeming factor for how ridiculous he is. It was another one of those things where we kind of wondered, is this supposed to mean something? Is this yes, referencing something? Is this, is this something? a historical feeling that this person had about one of the sons of the monarchy? I do not understand this maybe we don't need to maybe he was just supposed to represent the knave of hearts who stole the tarts yeah because you get that impression in the courtroom scene he is the accused and he's acting like he can prove his innocence but he doesn't seem too worried about (laughs) it then of course you have the scene where the cards are in trouble and they're supposed to be beheaded and here's a really odd thing there's like this whole funeral procession where they're saying immortal invisible and but just just this one single soprano who if you know who Jeanette McDonald is sounds a lot like her that style of singing and somebody seems like they're on a mandolin or something it was just very odd. Somewhere in there, they transition into the croquet scene, but it's all, it's almost like it's sort of blended together. Yeah. There's this random guy in a wheelchair down in a creek trying to play with, play croquet with the flamingo people up on the banks. They're just sort of whacking at things with these fake flamingos. And then it's almost like the this party is half asleep or something they're all just sort of sitting or standing around which mm-hmm. is kind of true to what could happen in a long drawn out summer party but it was kind of odd it was just another one of those scenes that felt like it took too long which there were quite a few of those scenes they, they were not bad scenes it was just like so slow They have the part with the cat's head showing up in the sky and wanting to behead the cat. And that's where you figure out that she was talking to the cat earlier. And the Duchess comes onto the scene and while it's still a middle-aged man, they do seem to have a fairly normal dialogue from the book, but it all seems to be happening in her head. I, I don't know how much that, of it This she... was another very confusing thing, because it seemed like she was thinking everything, because her mouth was not moving. But the but... Duchess was still talking to her, and, and mm-hmm. the Duchess was literally talking. You weren't just hearing the Duchess's thoughts. Yes, she she would say something, and then the Duchess would respond. But, but Alice... she wouldn't... But Alice could also have her own thoughts without the Duchess hearing them. This did not make sense. It was so confusing. And then the Queen comes along and there's the whole part with either you or your head must be off. And instead of acting scared, the Duchess starts to leave and then turns around and does sort of a yeah type. Does this. I don't know. Whatever that means. We don't know what that means, so we just did something (laughs) really horrible. We're innocent. know what that means because I know that that I, I know there's a story I think by Mark Twain where that involves that gesture but I don't know if it's just some form of it has to it's some form of disrespect I don't yeah, I don't know that, that's all we know that that's what I was trying to convey and that's all we know about it if you know what that means please leave a comment yeah enlighten us 
So the Duchess is off, and then it's time to transition into the Mock Turtle. The Mock Turtle, of course, just a regular man, mm -hmm. takes her down to the beach. The guy who plays the Mock Turtle was on Chariots of Fire. He was one of the head people at the college who confronts Abrams and wants him to back down from having a professional instructor. So if you see him and he seems familiar, that's the guy. I know you're not a... You, I watched Chariots of Fire once years ago and I, I don't remember much of it. And I've seen it as a younger person and as an adult, so if he seems familiar to you, that might be why. That's probably the only other thing that I've seen him on. And he's probably super famous and been on oodles of things, but that aside. This scene, one of the things that I actually kind of liked about it was they go into the dance part, but you have these men who are maybe in their 40s or 50s, and oh, they- Oh, I'd say they're older than that. Well, I'd say fifties or sixties at least. Okay. They look like they might have white hair. Right, but he was still acting in Chariots of Fire, so maybe okay. These men might have been in say their fifties. They're older guys. That's gonna insult them. <laughs> They're probably dead by now. I don't think they'll be insulted. <laughs> okay, you have these. Mature individuals playing these characters. And for the part with the dance, they don't have their shoes on and they have their pant legs rolled up and they go dancing around at the shore's edge. And I liked it. I, I liked seeing them let their hair down like that for that scene. I thought it took too long. <laughs> but you, you don't see that in the other versions. You always have these big costumes yeah. and I just I liked it and then you have Alice I don't know if she's having telepathic communication here or I don't know what was going on she's but, basically whispering to herself it's time for the trial and this is not my favorite trial scene this was so strange so weird it opens with a hymn again I think it was immortal invisible and <laughs> but you pan around the courtroom and you have all these people. You have the random dude shaving. You have a farmer doing his farming in there and somebody who looks like just a random pedestrian that you might find on the Victorian streets. It just looked like they were infusing everyday Victorian life into this courtroom where it didn't belong, but they were trying to be metaphorical or something. Another metaphor that... If it was a metaphor, we didn't understand it. And you have the son, the king's son, up in a seat eating stuff. I think with little pig noises, probably. I don't know. There was a lot of chicken there. noises in the courtroom scene. What that was all about, we don't yeah. know. Somewhere in there, you actually get going with the trial. Which it didn't take too long, I guess. But you had this, you had more of a buildup than you do in some films. Mm -hmm. First witness is the Mad Hatter. Perfectly normal. But when he comes in, he keeps coming backwards and forwards, and there are all of these horse noises. And the camera is panning in and out, in and out, while he's backing up and going forward. Like, where very did, strange. Where did they get that? What on earth is the metaphor for that? And this motion seems to suck the king right out of his seat to where the guy some attendant or something has to try and get a hold of him and help him out and the king seems to be hard of hearing because he has a, an ear trumpet they get themselves together and the mad hatter in this version is slow of speech this takes too long he's a pleasant fellow but it didn't need to take this long yeah i liked the mad hatter but like you said everything he said was very drawn out one thing that was cute was the king <laughs> saying that he could have anybody executed that he wanted. You know, power, power. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> they have the cook come along, but she doesn't shake pepper everywhere. She's a little bit difficult, doesn't get into any trouble, and leaves. At some point, too, they have a break for a song. 
And I don't think that there was any one song that it was supposed to be. I was expecting Mortal Invisible again. It was so <laughs> weird. It was like really bad sing-along singing. Yeah. Uh, her sister came through and said it sounds like church. <laughs> Not always. <laughs> yeah, but, but you, like... But if you have a group of people, whether it's caroling or just any kind of group sing, there was no organization, and they were probably being purposefully bad. Oh, it was very purposefully bad. It was very bad. I think they were singing multiple different songs all at the same time. And this was supposed to be refreshing or something? I have no idea. They and they even had, like, a thing on the wall that said hymn numbers and then some numbers. So, like, I was wondering if this is, like, supposed to be church and a trial? Because they opened with the song. They took a break for a song. They had hymn numbers listed on the wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. They do bring out the rhyme that is supposed to accuse the son who, I'm guessing, symbolizes the knave of hearts. He was oblivious, whatever he was. He, he said that he could prove that it wasn't him or something. Another thing that's odd about this is that Alice starts to teleport around the courtroom as well as shrinking and growing, but she seems to, and this would make sense if you were dreaming it, but another thing that's visually odd is that at some point you have her standing there, but you also have her reflection in a mirror, but the mirror is her reflection in the mirror is doing different things from what she's doing. The mirror isn't even facing her. It's no. the, the, both her and the mirror are facing the camera, and you have the shrinking and growing, and appearing in different places in the courtroom. The only explanation we have for this is that it's a dream when we don't know if it was supposed to mean anything. Another thing that I thought was really, that is really different about this version is that the king takes center stage in this trial. The queen is doing the queen. The queen was doing needlework. She was embroidering something. And it's only till, I think it's only at the end of the trial yeah. that she really gets worked up and she's screeching. Off with her head, off with her head, off with Alice, her head, off with her head. Which transitions into chicken noises and Alice wakes up and there was a, there were bird noises coming from yeah. the Yeah, so it was farm. like, was it supposed to mean they were near a farm and all the animal noises were influencing her dream and that's why she kept hearing them throughout her dream? I would guess so, but there may have been metaphor woven in there as well. And then... The movie begins and ends with what I think is supposed to be sort of poetic prose. Yeah. yeah. And she's talking about, at the end, she's talking about how things aren't the same as they were of yore, and you're like, yes, your reality needed to change. And it ends. But one of the best parts of the film is the end because it transitions into all of these illustrations and a lot of them I really liked. I'm I'm not 100% sure but I think that it said that they were actually taken from Lewis Carroll's original manuscript. I could be wrong. I'll edit this out if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that that's what it said. So all of these illustrations may have actually been drawn by Lewis Carroll himself. Why try to be that accurate if you're going to mess with it that much? But those that was an interesting part, and then it's accompanied by this Indian music, which I guess both of those things kind of fit with the film that came before it. Yeah, I don't know. The Indian music was weird, but I actually liked it. I liked it a lot. There were one or more points where it's kind of like, all you're missing is a, is a bead curtain, a little leather bag. I, I don't know. You do get... 60s vibe in with all of this strange Vic Victorian era stuff. Yeah. So, overall rating. I actually really liked this one. I would probably recommend it. It's probably on my lower end of my favorite ones, but it was really weird and I actually liked how weird it was. I don't know how likely I would be to watch this one again. Really, I I wish I could get it settled in my mind whether they're mocking established <laughs> religion or not. I think there were interesting parts in it and funny parts, but I didn't fully appreciate all of the strange things that That's they true. did with it. 
I, I guess I would say that I recommend it with a caveat if you really like weird things. If you Maybe, don't really like weird things, don't bother with this movie. If I if I understood better what the person was trying to communicate through this version, maybe I would like it better. There were different... I love how much they incorporate natural beauty into it. And of course I like that one outfit. But it, it wasn't... It did, there were there were things that just didn't do it for me, I guess. It was it was very confusing, and I don't understand most of it. But <laughs> I still liked it. I I can't explain it. I liked it despite being confused. Do you want to know what's terrible? I think I might like. I think I like the Czech version better. <laughs> it doesn't have to be terrible. I don't know which one I liked better, either. I, I don't know. I liked different things about both films for different reasons. Okay. I guess that's all for today. Um, we don't know what we're watching next. You get to be surprised. Yeah. So see you next time. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, this is very different than what we usually do. I don't usually get a ton of comments right away, and like this video is 2018, so it's been a while. So it's collected a lot of comments, and I feel like it's had more interesting comments than a lot of the videos, because most of the time comments are just like, I really like this, or like, I really like mm -hmm. this part. And, but this had some interesting comments that I thought we should talk about, so. I thought since I'm going back to this episode and re-releasing it as a brand new podcast, we might as well record an extra little bit to talk about. Okay. So I'm not going to do like all the comments, but I'm going to pick out some of the most interesting ones. One of the main comments that I wanted to talk about was just because it clarified something that we had questions about when we originally recorded, because she runs through that building and we were like, what kind of a building is this? Because it had all those medical things on the wall and it's like is this some sort of a school or a church or what we didn't know so this person who they have their name as i have a unique perspective on the world <laughs> they wrote it isn't a church or a school it was a hospital called royal victoria hospital it was demolished in 1966 and abandoned at the time that they filmed it oh so they filmed that scene in an abandoned hospital. So I wonder if the curtains were just like that? I bet so. Wow, because that's very atmospheric. It is. Wow, that's sad. Another person also wrote, The corridor with the blowing curtains at the start was filmed in an old military hospital, which no longer exists, sadly. Hmm. So I wonder what year that was from. Well, oh, 1966. So. Well, let me think. But architecturally, I'm wondering just how long that building was there. Hmm. Anyway, mm. like, I'd have to go back and try and pick up details. You guys could have told us the name. Well, but this, thank you for the info anyway. They said, the, the one person said it's the Royal Victoria Hospital. Oh, sorry. So, yes, it was probably quite old. Yeah, we could probably Google it. Watch our 15-minute segment turn into a half an hour. Okay. Netley Hospital. The Royal Victoria Hospital, or Netley Hospital, was a large military hospital in Netley near Southampton, Hampshire, England. Construction started in 1856 at the suggestion of Queen Victoria, but its design caused some controversy, chiefly from Florence Nightingale. Mm. Often visited by Queen Victoria, the hospital was extensively used during the First World War. It became the 28th General Hospital during the invasion of mainland Europe in the Second World War. The main building, the world's longest building when it was completed, was entirely demolished in 1966, except for the chapel and former YMCA building, which still survive. Mm. 
wow. the extensive outbuildings, which once occupied a vast acreage of land near the rear of the main building, finally succumbed in 1978. The site of the hospital can be seen and explored in Royal Victoria Country Park. And then in the section about the decline of the hospital, after the war, the hospital continued to care for some casualties returning from overseas service. It also accommodated some Hungarian refugees in 1956, but due to its high cost of maintenance, it gradually fell into disuse, and the main site closed in 1958. The pier was never repaired and had been demolished by 1955. In 1963, a large fire damaged much of the building, and it was demolished in 1966, with only the chapel retained. Shortly before its demolition, Jonathan Miller filmed his 1966 version of Alice in Wonderland in the hospital. I'm glad he did. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And it was under basically four monarchs. It was under four monarchs, because you have Queen Victoria... The Edwardian period, King George, and then Elizabeth. Hmm. I've seen a few things. Mm-hmm. Some of the comments on here are just short little things that made me laugh. This person, Azale West, says, Alice is so serious. I wonder if it was like that in the 1800s. <laughs> 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 and Gambit 771 I think there were a lot of insects and birds when they filmed. This is what an English countryside can sound like. Nice. You remember how buzzy oh, it's some of the so scenes long. were. I, I think vaguely. We yeah, we commented like especially when they're outside. Oh, like so like with the tea noises. party, wasn't there a ton of noise at the tea party? There might have been. I think I'm thinking mostly of when she meets the queen, but I bet yeah, there yeah, was yeah, like the tea awkward party too. fly yeah. noises, which are yeah. accurate to real life. Because no, the outdoors is not pristine. Well, it can be pristine, but it's not quiet. <laughs> I'm not sure how to pronounce this person's name. Lil Mandan 96 says, Great analysis. So good to get an American take on it like you two. I hate it when they mess with the story, but it was the 60s. They had to be different. Keep up the good work. You're good at it. Mm, that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. And with dreaming eyes of wonder, a fascinating and surreal adaptation, second only in oddness to Svankmeyer's adaptation. Which one's that one? Check. Oh, okay. <laughs> the more you know of Victorian culture and history, the more you'll get out of it. Same for any familiarity with surreal cinema. Mm. I can relate to the first part of that comment, and the second part I'm probably just not as familiar with surreal cinema. But hey... We watched the Czech version, so I probably got a crash course in it. And then this one, a very long but interesting comment, Ian McMillan. I saw this TV film when it first came out in 1966. The White Rabbit is Wilfred Bramble, who was in the classic TV series Steptoe and Son. I saw him a couple times in The Coach and Horses in Soho, London. John Bird is the Frog Footman. I saw him in the foyer of Queen Elizabeth Hall. London. We were waiting to see a Carl Heinz Stockhausen concert. I don't know who that is. Alan Bennett is reading the dry history of Edwin and Morka. Alan Bennett is a famous writer and playwright. He appeared on Broadway in Beyond the Fringe with Jonathan Miller, the director of this version. And Peter Cook, who does the brilliantly funny Mad Hatter here, also in Beyond the Fringe was Dudley Moore, 10 with Bo Derrick. Peter Cook worked with Dudley Moore for many years on TV. I also used to see Peter Cook in the above-mentioned Coach and Horses pub in 1970s. The Caterpillar is Michael Redgrave, the famous stage and screen actor, the father of Vanessa Redgrave. Later, in the painting of the roses and the courtroom scene, you'll see Peter Sellers as the King of Hearts. The Mock Turtle in the beach scene is played by Sir John Gilgood, one of the most distinguished actors of the 20th century. The haunting music was composed and performed by Ravi Shankar. Director Jonathan Miller knew so many people and had so many connections that he could call on the services of these famous people to be in a one-off TV play. This dreamlike version of Alice in Wonderland is probably the best version. It is a seminal work. It has certainly influenced my life. Just watch, sit back, and accept what happens on screen. Thank you for your <coughs> comment. I'm glad that it could bring back memories. And then someone going by the name of Bud Brando Tiger 
says, I was fortunate to be in this production. I played second gardener painting the roses, also the frog footman. Jonathan Miller had seen me performing a late night improv show at the Royal Court Theatre and invited me to be in Alice in Wonderland. I was 22, just starting out on my career. And you are one of the best parts of this (laughs) film. And my goodness, that other footman is just so cute. I bet that was him, because he said he was 22, and the, the, the one the one that we would have interpreted as the frog was a lot older than 22, so I bet he's the one who came in to deliver the letter. But he would have been the fish. Well, they weren't dressed up, so maybe they weren't sure which was which. Well, okay, if you were the guy who came in the door, you had the cutest look on your face. <laughs> and if you were the guy sitting there giving the speech about how you might do nothing for for her, that was one of the best parts. Either way, the two of you are probably my favorites mm-hmm. as far as that scene goes. Second, first or second, would also be the French one where they actually had the song about yes. passing the buck. <laughs> that was but, a good one. Yes. As far as what we've seen, you're probably my favorite. Trickstick84, thank you for posting your thoughts from an American viewpoint. (laughs) (laughs) The thing to remember about this version of the story is that director Jonathan Miller is very much an intellectual artist. He studied medicine, which perhaps explains the anatomical drawing scene in the hospital set. Then he became a serious director of theater and opera productions in London. Carol's story was sort of intended for children, but it contained a lot of sly jokes about his academic friends or enemies at Cambridge University, and its sly adult humor that Miller picked up on. This BBC film was definitely not intended to be viewed by children. It was transmitted quite late at night, and was intended to be adult artsy drama, almost a subversion of Carol's story. Interesting. Thank you for your input to add to our American viewpoint. (laughs) I'm not used to people referring to to my, to air quotes, my American viewpoint, but it's true. I'm probably more American than I know. It's just that, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just not used to anybody from another country making that comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, we have, um, you know, our dad's came from Canada and we grew up watching British television and we have so much British ancestry that we just I know I feel have such strong connection to my British side and you Mm -hmm. probably feel the same way too Mm -hmm. it's like I have other things in there too but when push comes to shove the the big things on my mind are going to be like English and Welsh mm-hmm. and all that. It's like I know that I have German, I know that I have Danish, but yeah. etc. But where my heart and probably my temperament and tastes tend to lie a lot are are with British things. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Danish in my. Especially on my mom's side. Who doesn't love a good open-faced sandwich (laughs) except for my dad from Canada (laughs) who didn't know what was happening when he showed up in this community. Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, I feel more British than Danish. (laughs) Definitely. Oh, another scene that we talked about in our review from Trickstick84 again. Ho, ho, you asked about the hand gesture made by the Duchess. It's called thumbing my nose or cocking a snook. (laughs) (laughs) And then they said, they gave a link to a Wikipedia page about it and said, incidentally, the actor playing the Duchess is Leo McKern. He was born in New Zealand and became very successful on TV in Britain. Which I think maybe you shared that comment with me at the time. And the thing is, I grew up with the phrase thumbing your nose at Mm -hmm. something but I don't know if I had ever gone around making that gesture (laughs) I think I occasionally do now (laughs) Um, and it's also I believe that gesture is included in a short story by Mark Twain about 
I think it was supposed to be this impressive statue and he keeps describing it and then he's describing it as making, yeah, it was mm. just pulling people's legs. On Wikipedia it says, thumbing one's nose, also known as cocking a snook, is a sign of derision or contempt made by putting the thumb on the nose, holding the palm open and perpendicular to the face, and wiggling the remaining fingers. It is used mostly by school children, often combined with verbal insults, sticking out the tongue, or blowing a raspberry. It's also known as thumbing the nose, Anne's fan, or Queen Anne's fan. The phrase cocking a snook can be used figuratively. The Oxford English Dictionary cites the 1938 usage. The Rome Berlin Axis cocked the biggest snook yet at the League of Nations idea by Eric Ambler in his Cause for Alarm. It's like, where does that come from? Is it supposed to be like some snooty lady holding a fan in front of her nose? or I don't know. That's all this says. Either way, it's more education on how to be rude. <laughs> but in kind of a funny way. I think that could just be used to be cheeky without being horrible. The next time I get mad in traffic, maybe I should just do that. <laughs> Whatever car is passing by. <laughs> they might be so confused. Those are the main interesting comments that I wanted to talk about. There's another one by somebody named Night Owl who says, I haven't watched this film myself so far, but it is referenced in a biography on Jonathan Miller that I've just started to read. I think watching your review is going to send me down an Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole, no pun intended, as I feel that I would like to watch a few of the early adaptations up to and including this one with, including the one with Johnny Depp. I enjoyed watching and listening to your analysis, or attempted analysis. I'm fascinated to hear about the frequent use of that particular hymn, Immortal Invisible. Intriguing. Attempted analysis? You mean like us being confused as right, we're trying yes. to figure out what <laughs> is going on in this film? Yeah. <laughs> and Little Man Dan 96 says, Yeah, mate, I'm as confused as you two, though I've only seen the clips you've shown. I do love the Indian music. It seems to blend with the Victorian, or th with the Victoriana. I don't think I've ever heard the Victoriana as a phrase before. Interesting. They say, I must watch it in full. Good take on it, though. Love your honesty. Nice one. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Hopefully we weren't too honest. I probably... <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's so fitting, um, considering the, the history, which I should know more about, between Britain and India. And there's a little love affair between East and West that goes on sometimes. And I think... It, even now, if you look at British home decor, if you're looking at English home with all the fancy-smancy houses, I think you'll still see a fair amount of Eastern influence, whether it's Indian or not. Anyway, I kind of feel like I could use some of the music <laughs> from this movie while driving or something. I, I almost need to re-listen to some of it. I have looked him up outside of this. This is actually the film that introduced me to the existence of Ravi Shankar and after that I've done some reading on him and listened to a little bit of his classical music. Indian hmm. classical music which is way way different than western classical music. Interesting. That is another interesting rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> anyway thank you everybody for your comments. Yeah, I I just thought this would be a really fun addition to the podcast. I don't get to do this a whole lot because I don't get a ton of comments right away when I post things. It usually takes a while before comments start trickling in, but for some reason this version has attracted a lot more comments than others. And I, I didn't even, I probably only did like half or less of the comments. A lot of them was just like short comments about how much they love this version. It probably has a bigger following than we realize and... It is interesting. Mm -hmm. They did make it colorful. For a black and white film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's... It's one of the most memorable Alice's that we've ever watched. Uh, yes. And I don't even know how many we've watched at this point. We've watched so many. <laughs> uh, but like if somebody's talking about interesting versions, this one and the Czech 
Svankmeyer version pop into my head first. If you want surreal, not for children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More artistic, artsy versions. Yeah, I think that's all for this. Thank you, people. That's one of the cool things about the internet is having positive conversations between continents. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess we'll see you in the next version. Coming soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Version Ever. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform or to the Every Version Ever YouTube channel. Make sure to follow my co-hosts as well. Any relevant links will be in the description for easy access. We'll be back soon with another brand new episode. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Come along and pass through the looking glass into Wonderland.